stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. It's showtime party, people. What's up, Brave Makers? My name is Tony Gapastone. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm a Caucasian man in Redwood City, California. I am wearing a black hat, black trucker hat today. I'm wearing glasses. I think I've got some bags under my eyes because I was up till 2 o'clock in the morning. More about that later. Uh, I am a writer, director. You can find me at TonyGap.com and on all the socials at Tony Gapastone. I love that I get to be every week right here with my friend my colleague and the producer of my next feature film christina ray jackson let's see rookie mistake here we go yes so i'm here i'm coming to you from dublin uh tony it's awesome to be here i am christina ray jackson and i am also a writer and an actor and a producer on tony's next feature film and that's you probably have some eye bags because i was up late (laughs) partying and celebrating what were we celebrating tony uh, nothing really too big. It was just kind nothing of a, major. a feature film that we released oh, into the film. world. <laughs> <laughs> that's so wild. Only something that's been in the work for I don't know how long. That was shot during COVID with a million obstacles. We were Y'all, there. Last night, Christine and I got to do what we do every week live. It was so cool. Yeah. We were sitting next to each other on director's chairs with a full theater full of our friends, family, cast, crew, donors. It was so invigorating, Christine. I just loved it. We looked at each other at one point christina said we're doing it we're this is so surreal and it, it, it totally surreal. was it totally was no mask no cameras face to face we were sharing a mic we, did we were share sharing a, mic. a microphone yeah, I'm, still, I'm okay i'm feeling good right now so hopefully yeah. <laughs> everybody stays healthy uh well hey we have a really cool special guest today and yes, a quick pitch about what's happening right now online in our bio if you're watching um online we have a cool 24 hours left film screening and panel discussion happening tomorrow night we'll tell you about that in a second but before how are you braving your way we always start the show by saying what's one thing you're doing to move your creative goals forward christina what are you doing last night we did something really exciting which was announced go veronica go to the world to the audience and in that movie no spoilers but there is a scene where i do some sit down comedy i have signed up to do an open mic next wednesday here in Pleasanton, it's a four-minute set. Oh my gosh! I'm writing material now. Oh I'm doing gosh. it. I'm, I'm so doing proud it. I'm of you. Veronica's scene. I'm I'm earning all of it slowly, but that's how I'm braving my way. I'm writing a four-minute set. I'm doing the open mic. It's going down. That is awesome. Okay, it's cool. So awesome. That is so cool. So those of you who don't know, Go Veronica goes our next feature film, and it stars Christina, and she plays a actor slash comedian. So this is awesome. I'm so proud of you. That's very awesome. Thank Okay, so I am working on a new pilot and I'm 10 pages in. It's a 30 minute comedy and I have a goal to finish it randomly by April 22nd, my first draft. So I feel really. Yeah, it's just random. Why did I pick that date? I think somebody (laughs) posted on Twitter April 22nd for something. I'm like, I'm going to make that my date. So it's Mm -hmm. a new pilot that I'm working on. I'm stoked. And yeah, besides the film stuff, that's what I'm doing. Just keep writing, keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. Keep going. We got the perfect guest today, then, Tony, for how you're brave. You know, your I'm going to be right. asking her some questions. All right. Yeah. Before we bring Nicole in, let's bring Hannah Ilg from Hannah Wellness. Hannah, welcome. Hi. Welcome back, you. Hannah. My name's Hannah. I'm in Sunnyvale, California right now. I go by she, her, and I'm a Caucasian woman, um, dark brown hair and in the 
sunshine today outside. And we have something pretty special coming up. Tell us about it. Yes, I am partnering with uh, filmmakers, um, Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein, who created uh, The Business of Birth Control. It's a very amazing documentary that I'm excited to be partnering with Tony uh, and Brave Maker to be promoting. And we're doing a screening. Uh, we have 24 hours left. We did a 48-hour screening. So it's um, till tomorrow, April 7th. Uh, till 7 p.m. and then we are okay. doing a Q&A about it after people watch it um, at 7.30 p.m. April 7th tomorrow. Uh, so I can yeah tell you a little bit more about it. Um, Christina's, Christina's got a question though. I think oh, this yeah. is going to be a good lead in here. Christina. Yeah, I think for everyone's listening, who is the film for? And before you think, oh, it's not for me. I don't have a uterus. Let's <laughs> let Hannah answer that question. Who is the film for? Yes. Uh, I'm so glad you guys asked that because, you know, you think, oh, I'm not on birth control or I'm on birth control. I'm happy with it. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to watch it. But uh, why I love this documentary is because it goes through the history of how what birth control has meant to our culture and what, how mm -hmm. revolutionary it was. Um, but also so many uh, people are saying they're having side effects and mm -hmm. so um, really voicing those stories and everybody knows somebody with a story about birth control and yes. so uh, if you have somebody in your life who maybe isn't on it now but has been on it um, it impacts so many people so if you if you know somebody who's been on birth control or for whatever mm -hmm. reason chose not to be on it um, they mm -hmm. probably have reasons for that as well a story behind that um, it's for it's for them so it's really for them excited. and yeah. birth control is about family planning and that mm -hmm. takes two so this yeah. is the, you know what I mean you you Take consideration for your partner, for your daughters, for your, my sisters have used them and they've had their own experiences. Like you said, we all know someone who has had, you know, a situation or an experience. And so understanding the business of birth control, I think, is essential. Yes. So one more time, where can we see this amazing documentary until yeah. you said tomorrow at seven? Yes. Um, Brave Maker has the link in their bio and I think Tony will share the link as well. And so mm -hmm. you just go to that link, grab a ticket for $19.99 and mm -hmm. um, it'll be streaming right there. And the Q&A will be, um, we also have a link uh, to the Q&A. You can sign up for that. And we have expert mm -hmm. panelists. So we have um, at the one that Tony is moderating, uh, we have um, a doctor. She's an amazing mm -hmm. doctor. And then uh, to fertility awareness educators. So that's what I do. I teach women oh, how their bodies work and I teach, uh, have video courses teaching how to prevent pregnancy naturally or how to conceive mm -hmm. naturally as well. So it's, it's really fun wow. alternative if somebody needs that as well. Very I, call, cool. I say this is informative and it's provocative. Yeah. So okay. take a watch. Take a watch. Yeah, all about informed consent for That's sure. Right. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, Hannah, thank you so love much it. for joining us. I will thank see you, you tomorrow night on the panel. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye, Hannah. All right, Christina, give us an intro to who we're going to be talking to today. We have a phenomenal writer, television producer, powerhouse. Welcome, Nicole Levy. Hey. Hi, Nicole. She's off the beach today, so soak up her sunshine because not all of us are. I know. I am. And uh, for everybody, it is pronounced Nicole, even though it's spelled weird. Uh, last name is Levy. Um, I am a she, her, and I am a black woman, and I am in Long Beach today. <laughs> Beautiful. 
Awesome. Well, Christina always likes to lead out this conversation with the the origin. Go for it. Christina. Yes. I love a good origin story. Nicole, where were you born and raised? How has your <laughs> journey uniquely prepared you for the work you're doing today? Uh, I was born in Kingsville, Texas. I was raised in Ridgecrest, California. Probably never heard of it before. It is between right. Lancaster <laughs> and Bakersfield. And how okay. that uniquely prepared me for where I am now is there's literally nothing to do. <laughs> so I watch TV all day, every day, every summer vacation mm -hmm. um, and fell in love with television and films and thought I was going to be an actress. That is actually mm -hmm. what I came to L.A. to do. And everyone kept saying to me, but you're so good at making up stories. Why don't you be a writer? And I was like, Phew. Boring. I'm going to go be an actress. Boring. And uh, then I got into the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And uh, it was in the course of studying there that I realized I was a writer who could act and not an actress mm. who could write. Oh, very good. Yeah. Had to admit that all the people who said maybe you should be a writer were correct. <laughs> you got to jump in sometimes to find out you know what also is wild i lived in stockton for a long time drove to la all the time probably past your city you know it's right on the way it's like part of that and you're not far yeah. from la so you made your way to the city of lights discovered you're happier behind the camera instead of in front of it yes yes yeah. and in large part i think part of that was and god bless them like i had at the time acting teachers who said to me like, look, I just want to be straight with you. Like, you're not going to get to play black characters mm. because people do not look at you and see a black mm. woman. Mm. And of course, I was like, well, that's ridiculous. That's who I am. That's who I've always been. Like, I've never identified as anything else. And they were like, no, no, I get it. But that's not what mm -hmm. people see. Mm. And and it's so interesting to me because I've had to have that conversation now as a writer with young actors mm. about if you want who don't present a certain way, but it's important mm -hmm. to them. Like you have to have the conversation. You have to bring it up yourself because other people won't see it. And so if it's important to your identity, you bring it up and you champion that for yourself. Um, but you know, back then I was like 21 and I was like, well, I don't want to fight about being black all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to write some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is great for the next part of the conversation. First of all, I love your bringing up and surfacing the complexity of the industry, mm -hmm. especially right now. There's a lot of strides being made toward how do we have proper representation and diverse representation mm -hmm. uh, and the nuanced representation of what ethnicity mm -hmm. is. And uh, so that's a beautiful thing. I first found you. So I'm a part of screenwriting Twitter and people who hear that two words put together could either have a very positive <laughs> uh, feeling or a negative, uh, you know, just like social media anywhere. It could, it could be a very fun game or it could also be very annoying and uh, overwhelming, but yes. there's good people like Nicole putting things out into the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I first saw you toward the end of last year because you put out a book about being in the writer's room and I'm yes. like, I, I, this is my goal. I want to write television. And so I want to <laughs> talk Love to it. this person about what that looks like. So, so as you're in the writer's room, as you are you know, creating stories, you're in one now, talk about this book and then things that you're learning. And I also want to talk about how you feel you're making a difference or, or how your writing can create a changed landscape from what mm -hmm. you experienced coming up. 
Sure, absolutely. I I have been incredibly lucky because my career doesn't exist without mentorship. I had mentors through the network writing programs I did. I did both CBS and then NBC's Writers on the Verge. And then I also found writers who were willing to be mentors, me to give me advice, to help guide and shape me. And that's that's really the only way you get information about how to be in a writer's room. Like it is sort of this mysterious thing, like people hear writer's room, but nobody actually knows how it works. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky that my experiences as a lower level writer in my rooms was incredibly instructive and positive because I worked with showrunners and upper level writers who saw potential in me and therefore helped build, give me the building blocks to keep making my career happen. Mm -hmm. And so last year, I guess the end of 2020, uh, Carol Kirshner, who runs the uh, CBS Writers Mentoring Program, she works with the Humanitas organization. She helped organize Mentorship Matters last year, which I just w finished the first year of mentorship with. And then um, she also runs the showrunner training program at the Writers Guild. And she has been on Team Nicole from the day I interviewed with her for the CBS Writers Program. And she was like, someone needs to write a book about this. And I was like, oh, someone should write a book about the writer's room. And she was like, you, you should do it. And I was like, oh, who has time for that? I don't have time to write a book. Are you crazy? Um, but I sat down to do the, the initial exercise, which was, okay, like, let me try to make a table of contents. And realized how much I had learned and had to share about how writer's rooms work. Mm -hmm. um, I was on four, four, three, three single season shows, four, take it back, four single seasons, either because the show got canceled or because I moved on. Um, and so it was a lot of change. It's a lot of different show running methodologies and different personalities and, you know, how the logistics of the room work. And then now I've had, you know, uh, different experiences as a mid and upper level writer. And so I was able to sort of put all that together in the writer's room survival guide to hopefully demystify it all a little bit, to give people mm -hmm. some insight into how to survive the first year and then how to look at it as a, as a career building exercise. Like, yes, you're there to do a job and do it well, but you're also training yourself for when you're the person in charge. That's good. I like that. That is really good. So how should writers, I'm a writer and an actor. So how should writers approach your book? What's the best way to tackle your book, to get the most out of it, to get to those upper levels in the writing room? I think it's laid out in a way to really like you just start at the beginning, right? Like I tried mm -hmm. to keep in mind that there are going to be people who like want to jump to certain things like what's it like to be on set and what's, you know, but, uh -huh. but it's organized in a like, okay, like you got the email, like you got the offer and you got the email about here's when we start. It's here's your start day and here's where you go and here's the instructions about parking and all that. And that's really the start of it. Because when you get that email, right, the start email has the names of everyone else who is going to be in your writer's room because it's a big group email. And so the first thing you should do is Google all the people who are going to be in your writer's room that you haven't met. And see if you have common ground, see if they worked on a show you loved, see if they worked with anybody you know, because you're coming into a room of anywhere from four to 10-ish strangers, and you've met the mm -hmm. showrunner probably. Usually you've only met the showrunner, and it's like, where can you have 
launching points? Where can you have conversation starters when you get in there? And so it so starts. It's literally that moment. Yeah. So don't skip around. Start at the beginning. Follow the steps. Go through. Take your time and enjoy the writer's room for sure. Yeah, because I think it's, you know, it's very much a progression. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. even just navigating that first day, right? You walk in the room and it's like, where do I sit? <laughs> like, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so I gave some advice about like where you sit. Um, advice about how your high vibes. <laughs> huh? I'm getting like junior high vibes. Like you're back <laughs> in junior high. You know, it all matters. You got to find your click. It's a little bit because, right, like here's a perfect example. I've worked with writers who are fidgeters. If you're a fidgeter, don't sit near the showrunner because mm. okay. that might distract Ooh. them, right? Mm. But if you're not, then, and the seat's open by the showrunner, you can sit mm. there. It's fine. If you're a person who needs to get up and go to the bathroom a lot, try to sit close to the door. Like, it's mm -hmm. just, it's kind of stuff that you don't think about till you're in the mm -hmm. position. And like, I remember being like, oh, I wish I sat closer to the door because now I got to like walk around the whole table to get out. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of stuff. And then, you know, how to negotiate the relationships, how to find your allies in the room, what to do if you don't have any allies in the room, mm -hmm. how to deal with race and gender issues mm -hmm. in the room, all of that Ooh, stuff. She goes deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what is a showrunner for those of us who have, is this the screenwriter? Is this the person who's working with the screenwriter that oversees the writer's room? What's the show, so, the showrunner's role? So the showrunner, um, it, it can be, they can be a couple of different things. Usually it is the creator of the show. It is the person okay. who was like, I would like to do a show about cops in New York who do this thing. And, and usually they are a fairly upper level writer. And so they create the show, they're in charge of it. Um, sometimes what happens is that someone who isn't quite as upper level comes up with the idea. And then you sometimes have a situation where you have co-showrunners. So they bring in executive producer, a top level who understands how to get a show made a little bit better and like help out the creator, get, get their feet under them. Um, and that will definitely happen. Usually if you see a thing, when you read those stories about like some un, like unknown writer who had this great idea and sold it to as a series, mm -hmm. almost always there's a senior writer coming in to be like, here's how we actually write a TV show. Cause usually you don't know. Yeah. Like if you haven't come up in the ranks, you just don't know how a TV show operates. And so it basically very if Christina or I write a show and sell it, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I right? mean, right now, yes. Like if you yeah. sold it without having staffed a couple of times, yep. probably. Yep. What I love probably. hearing is it's possible. If you're at home, you have an amazing idea. You have that script already. You can get a senior writer on board. You could it does happen. That, right? it, it does, does happen. happen. I'd say it's, it's, you know, the rarest sort of deal, but like it yeah. happens. Um, so it's really, but the showrunner is basically the CEO of the company. If you're thinking of it as a business, the showrunner's mm -hmm. the CEO, all the bucks stop with them and they get to decide everything. Like at the end of the day, you can hate the direction they want to go in, but it's their show and yeah. they get to do it. <laughs> There's that old 
adage about television being the writer's medium because in television, although you need actors and cinematographers and directors, the writer is the one creating the show and then producing the show, which is kind of cool that the writer is sort of the queen or the king or whatever in that space. Whereas like in the feature film world, the director is the auteur. And then in the theater, supposedly, you know, the actor gets to really play. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? But I think that's what's so cool about TV, in my opinion, is that writers rule, you know, directors mm-hmm. come in for an episode or two and then they're out and they, you know, they're moving on to the next mm-hmm. series or whatever. Um, so what are your thoughts around kind of the, the TV culture? Because I know you've done and I want to talk about The Banker with Samuel L. Jackson and Anthony Mackie. Mm-hmm. I know you've done feature films, too. But what are your thoughts in regards to all these different mediums? Because you've done them all. What's your yeah, I mean, it, that is definitely, I think, part of the appeal of television, right, is it is the place where, like, at the end of the day, the showrunner is the final decision maker in all things. So, like, yes, they're not on set telling the director how to shoot the episode, but they will be the one who ultimately decides how the scenes come together and all that stuff. Like, the director does their cut, but then it's the showrunner who takes over. And so they are really, like, the last word on what the show is. Um, and what each episode is. And and I think that is unique in creative um, fields in terms of writing that like we are the sort of last bastion. I think um, there's certainly um, some outlets that are allowing directors to try to impinge on that, um, which I don't love. Um, But, you know, it's part of, and part of the reason behind it is not just showrunners wanting to be like, I'm the boss. When you have an ongoing series, there's a a consistency that just doesn't exist when you have directors coming and going and coming and going and coming and going every week, especially when you're doing 22 episodes, right? If you're still doing a broadcast show, like you have a brilliant director who sets the style on your pilot and sometimes they stay on as a producing director, but so they're there to help guide, but sometimes they're, they're super famous and they move on and do something else. And so you need directors who can come in and execute the tone of the show and the look of the show and are invested in doing that for you. Like that, that is how they are of service. Um, and I've, I've worked with mostly great directors in TV. I've certainly had a few not great experiences. And I think it is usually when there's a lack of understanding about what the show needs to succeed. Like when they, it's not that they don't have brilliant ideas. The brilliant ideas just don't serve the show. Mm -hmm. And that's usually when it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's something about that partnership too with the actors, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're, again, unless you have a producing director who's sort of there guiding all the stuff all the time, the actors build their relationships with the writers, And so it's us that they're going to want to come to, right? And say, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not sure I understand the scene or whatever. And you need to do that in partnership with the director because we're we're not jerks who break DGA rules. So you bring the director Mm -hmm. into the conversation. But, like, you're there to backstop. Like, you know the history of their character and the actor knows the history of their character. If the director's suggestion is bumping up against that, you're there to Mm -hmm. backstop your actor and say actually you know they have a point like we have established that he doesn't mm-hmm. do this so what if we like instead of doing that what if we did it this way and just try to help pivot it so it stays consistent for the show i love talking about this stuff so yeah. much it's so exciting it's so exciting yeah Okay, so I, I just I need to ask about the banker. So you were a writer on the banker, and there's um, yes. 
that's a feature film. I think it's on Apple. Is that right? On Apple Plus, yeah. Okay. So a true story about the first two African-American bankers in the United States. And that was played by Anthony Mackie and Samuel L. Jackson. So talk about that, Mm -hmm. how that came into your lap and, you know, working with them and how that all went. I will. I will. So slight (laughs) historical correction. They were not the first black bankers, but they were the first ones who sort of tried to operate it in a way, in a way that was like, we can be everybody's bank if they don't know we're black, basically. Because mm. what would happen, right, is there were black banks in Texas, but, like, no white people would ah, bank see. Okay. So they were trying to, like, have a bigger capital base by being everybody's mm. bank. And that's why they had Matt be the front for them. Gotcha. Um, okay. So, yeah. But, you know, so interestingly enough, um, I got that opportunity because of my TV writing career. Yes. Because I was on Allegiance, which was created by George Nolfi, mm. um, off of a piece of IP. Um, and I got on like a house of fire with George. And when our <laughs> show got canceled and he decided he was going to take on this project, he asked me for a feature sample. And I had one and I sent it to him. And mm. he called me the next week and said, I'm going to tell you a story about these two black men who lived in Los Angeles and became millionaires and they owned this huge building downtown. And then they went to Texas and bought a bank and tried to help people and ended up, you know, in trouble with the FBI. And I was like, that's real. That happened. (laughs) And uh, he asked me if I wanted to write it with him. And we were rewriting a draft that was already created by the two writers who really found the story. And, um, we were, you know, so rewriting that draft, but it was, it was an amazing experience. And George, I will say I was very lucky because right. It wasn't your usual feature experience. I think where it's like, thank you very much. and walks Mm -hmm. away because George and I had a relationship. So like, you know, the day he called to tell me, Anthony was always involved. Anthony Mackie was always on board to produce and star in it. Um, But when they called to tell me that Sam had signed on, I was like, Wait, Falcon and Nick Fury are going to be in my movie? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. That's fun. Yeah. It's so, so but cool. it was, you know, getting to go to set and getting to meet them. And, you know, the way things do in our careers, right? Like that has now mm-hmm. led me to a situation where I'm writing a script that Anthony's going to direct. So. I saw it that all, based on another true story, right? Is it based on another true story? Yes, it's called Spark, and it's about Claudette Colvin, who, for people who don't know, um, was a 15-year-old girl in Montgomery, Alabama, who refused to give up her seat on the bus nine months before Rosa Parks, oh. and it's sort of the story of why you don't mm-hmm. know who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she is alive, by the way, and a ball of fire and such a lovely human being. And it was so exciting to meet her and get to talk to her and, um, you know, very excited to to write this and put it in Anthony's hands. And Sanaya, who's just going to kill it. Like, <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. I love historical pieces. Are you loving working in this? What is it? Literary fiction space as a writer? I do love it. I will say, like, I just had to have a conversation because I, so I developed three, like, like, true story-based 
projects that ended up not going. Mm. And then I had written the banker and then I'm writing, you know, this. And I was like, I might need to step away a little bit from real people <laughs> stories. <for a> <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause I just feel like I've spent a lot of time in that space. Like one of the TV projects that um, ultimately didn't go forward. I spent two and a half years on. Oh. So, you know, oh. sometimes it's a lot of, there's a lot, there's a giant stack of books on my shelf reminding me of how many hours I spent working on. <laughs> and that's some of the stuff that a lot of people don't talk about, especially in TV is how much work and work and work goes in that you never, that never sees the light of day. You might've got a paycheck for it, yeah. but it just never moves forward, whether it's stopped in development or you get a pilot and then it cancels or it gets one season and it cancels. It's so hard. Uh, which leads me to want to ask you, how do you find yourself being resilient and persevering mm -hmm. in this industry yeah. when it's so tough? Yeah, and it is. I mean, look, I a friend of mine um, was teaching a class and she did some like calculations. And I think she figured out that 2% of pilots actually make it to screen. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> which was a little like, oh my yeah. God. But I, I think you do it right by like, there's been plenty of shows that have made it to air that I loved that die after 13 episodes or 10 episodes. There've been mm -hmm. plenty of pilots that I've read that were brilliant that never made it to screen. Mm -hmm. And you just, it's not you, like it's this business mm -hmm. and it's, mm -hmm. it's so much more than your talent on the page. It's the timing. It's what they're looking for when they're buying. It's all the things you can't control. And so all you can control is producing the best product that you mm -hmm. can. And I think the other thing to really stay focused on is it may not ever get made, right? I wrote this pilot that the one that I spent two and a half years on and it's, I love it dearly and it's always going to break my heart. We didn't get to make it, but that pilot now goes out into the world as a writing sample for mm -hmm. me and people mm -hmm. are blown away by it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's never wasted work. It's, yeah. It's mm. teaching you how to break story better. It's teaching you new ways to come into things. It's it's frustrating, especially like when you end up doing these things called bake-offs. You guys familiar with this? No, tell, no. tell us. This is when uh, you get an email or a call from your rep about an open writing assignment. Mm. And it means that a studio or a pod has a piece of IP or an idea that they like, and they're looking for a writer to do it. And they usually talk to... I'll just average it and say five or six people. And if they like you, then they'll ask you to come back with a take. And then maybe they hear the takes and they narrow it to three people. And then three people will pitch their full pitches and then they'll decide who they want to move forward with to go to the studio and do all that stuff with. A bake-off. It's a bake-off. Yeah. It's a lot of work to just hopefully get the chance to try to sell a show. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you're, when you're first starting developing, it happens a lot. And, and, you know, if you love the projects, then it's, again, it's not wasted work because you're going to come up with ideas and you can use those ideas somewhere else. I just mm -hmm. pulled a location out of a pitch that I, that died on the vine last year to use in a feature project that I'm going to do. Cause I did all great. this research on the location and I was like, mm -hmm. well, let me use that now. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, it but, sounds like a career. You definitely have to enjoy the journey. Yeah, you yeah. have to just, you know, and I, I mean, look, this always sounds a little Pollyanna when I say it, but 
I'm a firm believer that I only get the jobs that are meant to be mine. Yes. And, you know, there have been jobs I was heartbroken not to get. And then I found out they were nightmares. Right. Mm, so I yeah. was like, Woo, I'm glad I was over here on my job. With the cool <laughs> people that were nice and like out together. And like, <laughs> so, you know, it's it, part of it's just how you how you frame it in your head. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to get down and be sad and be depressed. Yep. And I think we all need time when our projects die, all that stuff to be upset. But then you just got to be like, okay, I'm done now. Like, mm -hmm. what's next? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Grieving a project as an mm -hmm. artist, as a filmmaker, that's that's wild. Uh, I want to know. So the showrunners are like the platform of all the shows. I think as a viewer, I watched the credits. I'm looking for the director. How do we identify the showrunner in the credits? Who really is behind the magic of a show? So the showrunner is usually i want to say always i guess i could that could be an overstatement is usually the executive producer okay producer or producers who come after the directed or right before the directed by credit so it's like the executive producer and then uh writer and then directed by and then you're into the show or as with swat for example which i worked on it goes to black and then it's created by Sean Ryan and, Aaron, and, and, you know, or I think Sean and Aaron are in the credits. I take it back. And then the end card is uh, executive produced by Sean Ryan. So okay. it's like, it's sort of, it's always got a little prominence to it, whether it's in the opening titles or it's in the, the, the end titles. Beautiful education today. <laughs> you can find Nicole's uh, IMDb, IMDb page and see all the things that she's done. She just referenced SWAT, which is great. Shades of Blue, mm -hmm. other different things, Cloak and Dagger that she's written on. Lots of different credits and lots of different episodes. Uh, can you talk about what you're working on right now, Nicole? You mm -hmm. said you're in like Long Beach, but you're going to New York because your showrunners are there. So pandemic yeah. has changed the way things are being written. People aren't always in the same room. So what are things looking like for you right now? Sure. So um, I can tell you a little bit about it because it's one of those like Netflix -y, you know, NBA things. So basically, <laughs> I I walked out of SWAT into um, so this is actually the second show I've done since SWAT that's still not out yet. So I walked into a Netflix show. Cool. Uh, run by uh, Alexi Holly, who this one's out in the world, so I can talk about it. Um, uh, and it's uh, starring Noah Centino, and it's about a CIA lawyer who very quickly gets in over his head with a very dangerous woman. Okay. And um, I went straight into that. We broke all the episodes and wrote that. Um, they are shooting. They have finally just wrapped. Um, and then, so that'll be out into the world when it gets out in the world, cause it's Netflix. So you know how that mm -hmm. goes. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I was busy writing the book and writing the feature. And then this other opportunity came along and, um, it's, I fell in love with it because the pilot was so brilliant and I'm working for, mm -hmm. you know, uh, female showrunner who's just really inspiring and great. And, um, it's, a period piece about a, a point in time and a place in time that I, I have never seen on television. And um, I think it it's the kind of show that like very specifically, I mean, it's obviously a show for everyone, but it's the kind of show that if, you know, if all goes according to plan, like the black audience around the world will be very happy to see. So... <laughs> 
so, but like, I don't, I can't, I can't say too much about it, but I will say that um, it's very exciting. It's a slightly different sandbox for me because it's, mm -hmm. it is such a, such a period show. Mm -hmm. Like it's very, you know, um, and not like fifties and sixties kind of period. Um, but it's great. It's a, it's an amazing story to break. Um, like I said, very inspiring boss and great room. And, but yes, we're, so I went, I had an interview for SWAT in person and then i got the job over the couple of weeks where everything was shutting down mm. and so this is now my third all remote room um and the difference now is again because my showrunners are in new york mm. um they have an office there and i was like well how about i come for a week and you know that way we can all actually finally meet in person and do all yeah. that stuff so doing that, seeing some friends in New York, it's going to be great. But um, yeah, it's, you know, Zoom is a very different thing than being in the room with your yeah. fellow writers and like trying to break the story there and, you know, grateful to have had the technology, but man, I can't wait to be back in person. <laughs> yeah. In some ways, I love though that there's the opportunity to. I have heard a lot of people getting into these Zoom rooms who aren't in LA or New York, so that's kind of mm -hmm. cool that that can you know level yeah. out that access. I love that. Yeah, and I will say, like I, as much as I'm excited to be back in person, which I think will happen, you know, mm -hmm. probably after the new season starts, like mm -hmm. the new rooms. Um, first of all, I think general meetings should stay on zoom forever are you guys familiar yeah. with the general meeting? yeah like it just who needs to drive to santa monica for a 30-minute conversation yeah. it's ridiculous like yep. they should all mm -hmm. and like all the executives it's so much easier for them to be on time mm -hmm. and then, like, yeah, mm -hmm. just do that um and i think for me like certainly as a person who intends to be running a room fairly soon mm -hmm. right like, that what it's done for me i think is every writer's room can afford to keep an extra laptop in the room, right? So if you do find that writer who's brilliant, but they live in New York and they're mm -hmm. like, I will definitely move to LA, but it's going to take me two months to get there. Mm -hmm. I got stuff to close up here. So let them zoom in from New York yeah. for two months. Like yeah. it doesn't hurt anything. Mm -hmm. Or when you have a writer who has a sick kid and the nanny can't come and like, what do I do? I'm like, stay home and zoom in and talk when you can. Like, mm -hmm. Because writers feel so much pressure not to miss the room. Mm -hmm. so that's why you have writers come in sick when they should stay home. Yeah. That's why, you know, you have parents struggling to keep that balance. And I'm like, it's not if you, for one, one or a couple of days, stay home, take care of your kids, zoom, drop mm -hmm. your camera you need to like let people take care of their business. And so, so for me, yeah. Yeah. And so for me, that's how I would always mm -hmm. approach it. Like I'm I, like, and I dare somebody to tell me I can't. I'm like, you don't know what happens in my room. I'm like, <laughs> love, it. love it. Well, this is awesome. If you want to be a writer of television, make sure you get Nicole's book. It's available on Amazon. It's called The Writer's mm -hmm. Room Survival Guide. Don't screw up the lunch order and other keys to happy writers' rooms. Nicole, this is so good. Thank you so much so for good. your time and sharing your experiences. Uh, will you hang out with us and give us your favorite things of the week? Sure. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Brave Faves. TV shows, films, books, songs, technology, clothing, podcast, food, and more. 
These are a few of our favorite people, places, and things. Brave faves. My brave fave. I actually have two this week, and not just because I'm in it and my friend directed it, <laughs> but Last Chance Charlene changed my life last night. It was a beautiful film that did more than tell a story. It left a message, it left a call to action, and it was beautiful. And the experience in that theater last night was magical what happened it was magical it was healing and you got to check out this film it's available where can we find this this is part of the cinequest film festival until what yeah april 17th it is streaming at cinequest with a c-i-n-e quest.org and it's only four dollars y'all it's the cheapest it's probably ever going to be so get, get it on it yeah, host some uh, screening parties and enjoy La Chance Charlene. Uh, it tackles suicide in a way that I've never seen in a film. It's very actionable and beautiful. And my second one is a new artist, Brent Fayez. If you haven't heard of this artist, check him out on YouTube. He has a beautiful animated music video, which Tony and I are also working on an animated music video. And it is called Let Me Know. That's the name of the single. His name is Brent Fayez. Check it out. It's about social justice and love. And all that stuff Brave Maker cares about. And I'll throw it over to you, Tony. What's your brave fave? Oh, I was just a little slow getting on your thing, but I oh, will okay. I will I will post this too after the ad comes up so you all could see this uh, amazing animated music video by Christina's Brave Fave. There it is. Yes. Uh, and while that's playing, I will tell you, last week, usually I'm not always the food favor. I'm always like faving a new show or something I'm watching or binging, but I have been, uh, since the Oscars, I was in charge of doing the, the, the buffet, if you will, of snacks at our house for the Oscar party. And so I went to Trader Joe's and I spent a hundred dollars on all different sorts of things. And one of the things I got was Trader Joe's sangria y'all it was 6.99 and it was so good i've never i can't even handle how good it was so i chopped up like some apples and some berries okay. and i just threw it in it was just delicious so trader Very joe's cool. sangria last week i faved trader joe's almond butter pretzels i don't know they're not pay, they're not paying me for this but it's, up, it's, not yet they clearly should be we do need a sponsor from trader joe's so anyways that was great what about you nicole what do you want to fave um, I'm going to fave two TV shows that are very different. Um, if you are looking for just the joyful, makes you feel good, I need a break from the dumpster fire that is off in our world, I recommend Ghosts on CBS. It is pure delight and so just warm. It's like a hug. Every week it's a hug Ooh. and it makes me so happy. <laughs> I love, I want to shout out Danielle Pinnock. Uh, we had her husband on. Uh, Danielle plays the opera singer from the 20s. Uh, yeah. So funny. So funny. Oh, my God. It's so great and so wonderful. And just that cast is amazing. And it's just like every week, I'm just so happy after I watched it. Um, and then my very different TV pick, but that I think is so good. It may eventually crack my top five of all time. Like if they stick the landing in the fourth and final season might make it is my brilliant friend, uh, which is on HBO and HBO max. Um, mm -hmm. and it is in Italian, so it's subtitled. So I know that's a thing for some. Uh oh, I'm going to, it's Italian. Here you we got... go. Tony. <laughs> you but got me. Performances are amazing like every actress who has played these two lead characters mm. 
kills it. And, mm-hmm. and it's just so, it's such an exploration of like female friendship and the good parts and the bad parts, right? The, it's, yeah, it's delightful. So if you're looking for something to watch, it is, uh, it's not going to be light and fluffy, but it's definitely beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can watch that, then cleanse your palate with ghosts. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> These are good. Thanks for the faves, Nicole. All yeah. right. Hang out with us for just two more minutes. We'd love to get a picture with you before we go, but Great. I just want to say thank you to all of our viewers and audiences both live and on the replay uh we hope you will support nicole and her work you can follow her at nicole cookies that's n-i-c-e-o-l-e cookies on insta and twitter and go be a part of screenwriting twitter bring some love and joy bring some ghost cbs joy uh to to that to that space but as a reminder uh you know we did our film last night Last Chance Charlene is available to April 17th. Please go take a look at it, watch it, share it. Mm-hmm. It's a great, I think, starter conversation about how to have tough conversations about really difficult things. And know that mm-hmm. we made that film on a very low budget. We made that film on people's donations. Every single dollar that we made that film with came because someone gave a donation to Brave Maker. So thank you to all of our donors out there. We have 23 people who donate to us uh, every week by going to bravemaker.com slash donate. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so you can, it's all tax deductible. So if you wanna become one of those donors, support the work that Christine and I are doing, that helps us pay our actors and crew to do all of our media that we're creating here. And we already have our next one, Go Veronica Go, starring. Yeah. Christina Ray Jackson in the lead role. And we're looking for executive producers on that. Uh, Contact us. Christina and I are uh, just a DM away on all the socials. You know where to find me. I'm at Tony Gapisone and Christina is at Christina Ray Jackson. Yes. And come back next Wednesday, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We will have an amazing filmmaker with us, a friend we met in our, our amazing gatekeepers group. And her name is Ari Rawson. Hope I pronounced that right. And we have to thank our team behind the scenes, our amazing producer, Amy Cohen, for the live show, Carrie Alley, our social media manager, Barnell Amos, our podcast editor, Uh and Emerson Morley, our Brave Maker intern out of San Francisco. And Sarah Golia has recently joined us. And this is wonderful. The Brave Maker family keeps growing, and we hope you continue to join us and offer your support in the form of donations. We love it. It's how we keep this... uh, show rocking and rolling that's it all right nicole thank you so much for your time thank you so much we're gonna be following you you. we're gonna be getting your book hopefully we're gonna see more shows and uh, films written and produced by you uh, (laughs) we would love to have you back at any time and uh thanks so much stay till after the bumper and we'll take a quick uh, snapshot with you okay great all right everybody thanks for watching brave stories change the world and you are the story bye everybody Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook at BraveMaker.org. Like, subscribe, and share. To become a monthly donor, text the word BraveMaker to 44321 or go to BraveMaker.com slash donate. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>